Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It is Outkick 360 across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Greg Cosell of NFL Films. Over four decades with NFL Films as a senior producer, and he joins us weekly on Outkick 360. Normally, he will be every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern, 1130 Central. Today, we've moved back just a bit, and you're about to see why. Greg, in a suit, as he <laughs> did some things earlier today for a television taping. Greg, first and foremost, we are thrilled to have you back on the show and back on weekly. This is going to be a blast. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yes, I, uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't want people to think I dressed up for you guys because I would never do that. Uh, we actually shot my NFL matchup show, the first draft special uh, this morning. So just got back to my office a few minutes ago and I said, you know what? I'm going to keep my uh, coat and tie on for the guys. Every Wednesday with Outkick 360, and we debut the Cosell Files, the weekly podcast across the Outkick, ne Outkick Network, which will be every Thursday afternoon, talking all things X's and O's and film analysis from the very best, Greg Cosell. Greg, let's talk draft. Let's jump right into it, and let's start with Trevor Lawrence, who is being described as a generational talent at the position. Do you agree and... Is he far and away the best quarterback available? Well, I don't think he's a generational talent, and I'm not sure what that word means. Um, I, if I had to rank the quarterbacks in this draft, I would probably put him at the top, yes. Um, but, you know, I, I think the way I'd answer that question is this, guys. And I think this gets lost in a lot of the discussion, particularly at this time of year when there's 20 mock drafts every day. And, of course, all 32 of those players in the first round that are in mocks, we know they're all going to be Hall of Famers because that's the way they're presented. Um, I would say that uh, no quarterback, no player, but certainly a quarterback, no quarterback enters the NFL as a finished product. There are things that must be worked on. When you watch the tape carefully in detail, you see things with Trevor Lawrence that you say, hey, he needs some work in that area. And then you hope he gets that work. And sometimes you see things on tape and they're great. Sometimes you see things on tape and you say, hey, that's a little bit of a concern. And now there's so many variables. Where he goes, the scheme they run, how he's coached. There's so many variables that go into it but no player comes into the NFL as a finished product. What, what's, what's he need the most finishing on, Greg, before I move on to Justin Fields? I would say that Lawrence, and this has shown up in the playoff games in each of the last two years, Lawrence is a body thrower. He's a strider. He's, he's not compact per se. So when he gets pressure inside, he tends to rush his mechanics. 
and that's when he loses his ball placement. So I'm very curious to see once he gets to the NFL, when he faces more bodies around him, uh, how that plays out. That's something he absolutely needs to work on. He, he's, he's a big kid. He's an angular kid. He does not weigh a lot for being close to 6'6". So he's, he's, a, he's a long athlete who strides. And that can pose a problem. Uh, it doesn't automatically have to. Matt Ryan has been a really fine NFL quarterback for years and years. And he's a guy that strides. He's always been a strider. You can play the position that way. But it's just something that you look at on tape and you say, I think that probably needs to be just tweaked and cleaned up a bit. Um, Justin Fields is a guy who's created a lot of debate in terms of his ability to progression read and how quickly he gets to his second read. I'm curious for your take on that and how you think he compares maybe to the other first-round guys in that category. Is that a fair thing to question him on or not so much? Well, I'd answer that this way, PK. I think you have to be careful about that when you watch tape. Look, there are clearly uh, route concepts that everybody runs, and you know where the ball should go based on what the coverage is. But the one thing we don't know is how he's coached. And at the end of the day, that's really something that you have to be very careful about with, with a quarterback when you watch tape saying that he doesn't progression read well. I would say that it's fair to say that at times he's a little too deliberate in things that he does. Um, that I think that's fair. But to start getting caught up in where he should go with the ball based on how he's coached within his scheme, I think you have to be a little careful about that. I've rewatched Fields, and believe it or not, the more I watch him, the more I like him as a prospect. Now, again, same situation. He's not finished, but you're talking about a kid that is a talented thrower. And again, you have to define what that means. Yes, he has a big arm. He has what, what a lot of coaches call a 65-plus yard arm. But he also showed the ability to feather and layer the ball with touch. I think he has very good throwing traits. We know he can move, but he's not necessarily a guy that just flees the pocket. Um, there are examples on tape where if you watch, you, you see pressure and you go, gee, he didn't handle it well. But the question I would have there again is we don't know if he's responsible for protections or maybe the offensive center is responsible for protections. So you have to be careful about talking about that as a negative or a flaw in his game because you don't know. But I like Justin Fields, and the more I've watched him, the more I've come to believe that he'll be a really quality NFL quarterback. So, Greg, this is one of those process questions that I love asking you about, and I'm asking specifically in regards to Zach Wilson. I watched yes. on ESPN Kirk Herbstreit's quarterback special, which I really enjoyed, and in that Kirk's special great. they're showing film of Zach Wilson at BYU's Pro Day throwing against the grain, going to his left and throwing a post that's going the opposite direction and showing how he can contort his body and throws right. it on an absolute line to him at that, in that moment. And something you've been consistent about is the number one quality of an NFL quarterback is accuracy and ability in the pocket to go through the right progression, find the right receiver, and throw it accurately. But when right. you see the game today, and, and a guy like Aaron Rodgers or, or Patrick Mahomes – is it, in, it becoming more and more important to be, have the ability to have those off-platform throws like they uh, showed in this special with Zach Wilson? And is Zach Wilson a guy that's really good at that? 
Well, it's funny you say that, Chad, because, you know, we just did my matchup show. And uh, the first show, which airs tonight, by the way, on ESPN2, if I may do a quick, uh, you know, if I may be a self-promoter. We did Mac Jones and Justin Fields tonight in the first show. And in the second show, we will do the other three quarterbacks that are, you know, talked about, obviously, Wilson, Lawrence, and, and Trey Lance. And one of the things we talked about, because it, 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 it's a function of Mac Jones, who's very polarizing, is just what you asked. And it's a philosophical question. Um, and here's what I actually typed on my format sheet. I said, have we reached a point where if you don't have some ability to make off-script plays, are you limited to not being quite good enough to be a high-end NFL starter? And that's basically the question, Chad, I think you're asking me. And I've talked to a lot of coaches because, hey, you guys know me. I'm crazy. This is the kind of stuff that when I'm falling asleep, I think about. You know, most people think about, like, normal things. I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, I don't have a brilliant answer for that. And, and I've talked to a lot of coaches. And believe it or not, they don't have brilliant answers for that either because you see the game has changed to some degree. You know, think of it this way. Every quarterback is a system quarterback. That is not a negative term. You know why? Because that's the way the game is taught. Every coach has a system. That's how they teach it. I mean, PK, you know this. I mean, you've been doing this a really long time. You've been around. That's the way the the position is taught. It's taught within structure. No coach rolls the ball out and says, let's run around today. You know, there's a structure to all this. So what happens in today's NFL when defenses have become more sophisticated, more detailed, more nuanced, more pressure packages, more 5 DBs, 6 DBs, sometimes 7 DBs, what happens when the defense tactically defeats the structure? If the quarterback has nothing to do at that point, the play's over. So, you know, certainly Zach Wilson can move. He can make a lot of different kinds of throws. Um by the way, Chad, the throw he made, you know, there's 30 guys who could have done that. That that was so overblown. You know, I mean, that was just, you know, one of those things that everybody got excited about. There's 30 guys that could have done that. But um, but he's a guy that tends to be – and he's not Mahomes, but he's Mahomes in this sense. There was a, a recklessness to his tape at times, a looseness to his tape, an undisciplined nature to his tape. And there was absolutely that with Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech, which is why he was the 10th player chosen and not the first or second player chosen. How that plays out in the NFL is very difficult to truly predict. Greg Cosell with us on Outkick 360, and you can catch uh, the new podcast, The Cosell Files, which debuts on Thursday afternoon at OutKick.com and wherever you download your podcast. Greg, let's move to wide receiver and Jamar Chase, who appears to be the best wide ah. receiver available in this class. And we didn't even see him play last season. And, and you say, hey, no big deal. I watched him play in 2019. That's all I need to see. In fact, you compare him, you see, maybe comparison's a bad word to use, but you see some DeAndre Hopkins in his game. That, that's high expectation for what you see at LSU. Yeah, I also see some Steve Smith in his game because this guy's an alpha dog. He's a type A personality. He's super competitive, super tough. He's proactively aggressive. He embraces the physical nature of the game. Watch him get off press coverage. I mean, he doesn't do it with with what you'd call nuance. He does it just with strength and physicality. Um, I, I loved his tape, loved his tape. Um, I think he can do everything. I think, look, what is the NFL game in many ways become nowadays? 
it's become a game where there's a lot of short throws. We see a lot of RPOs. Everybody's doing RPOs. Everybody's doing what they call illusion RPOs, where it looks like an RPO, but it's not quite. Um, so that means for receivers that you're getting a lot of slant routes. You're getting a lot of what are called glance routes, which is a slant route is normally you break on your third step. A glance route, you normally break on your fifth step. So, But they're, they're quick inbreakers. He's a master at those kinds of routes, and he's physical run after catch. And that's what the NFL game has become in many ways. And he can get on top of people. You know, it's funny. When you watched his tape, you didn't come away saying he was a burner, but he got on top of big-time SEC corners. Um, and then he had a great pro day, which I think the pro day means something in this regard. He did not play. So then you know that he worked his tail off to have a great pro day, and I think that says something positive. Greg, let's stick with the receiver position. Elijah Moore is a guy I love watching at Ole Miss. Ah. Very, very productive. But am I being too old school NFL that I'm concerned with that five foot nine height with a receiver like Elijah Moore? Chad, I don't think so because I think that's another way the NFL game has changed. I think now the game has changed where there's a lot of smaller receivers and there's a ton in this draft. But the game has changed to where those players are kind of used as movement receivers. You hear the, the phrase manufactured touches, scheme touches. I think a lot of teams are doing that now. The question is, are these receivers volume receivers? Are they going to get 120 targets or are they going to be, you know, guys who maybe catch 40, 45 balls? I loved Elijah Moore's tape. I thought that he was quick. I thought he had separation quickness. I thought he had vertical burst and speed really good hands. I thought he was really tough and competitive at the catch point. He played through contact extremely well. I thought he was competitive run after catch. I mean, yeah, is he a slot receiver to begin with? If you're going to give him a designation at five, nine and a half, 178, is he a slot? Yes. But I think you can do more with him if you, you know, have some creativity as more and more coaches and teams now have. Let's flip to the defensive side, Greg. Uh, I'm curious about Christian Barmore. I've read some stuff that may be uh, dedication and responsibility concerns. I'm wondering if that shows up on the tape at all for him. And uh, we're in our Tennessee hour, so I can ask how he might fit in if the Titans wanted to go that direction with Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry. Yeah, it's an interesting question, PK. I mean, it's very hard to – for me watching tape, and I usually, I won't talk about this unless it's blatant and it's not blatant with him, about a guy's effort level. Um, but I will say this. I would say that there were times he came off the ball a little high and he lost leverage and power. Keep in mind he was used as a rotational player in college. And so the question is, what is he in the NFL as far as number of snaps? That's a legitimate question to ask. Um, uh, the other part of that, though, is college games, teams tend to run far more plays offensively the NFL team so more guys are rotational players I think this guy's really talented he's over 6'4 he's 310 he's got really long arms to be honest with you you know who he reminded me of Chris Jones coming out of Mississippi State keep in mind Chris Jones was a second round pick we know now he's a great NFL player with the Chiefs but he was a second round pick Barmore to me is a guy and this is the way he was used at Alabama who's multi-positional So in a league now where there's more multiple front looks, Barmore fits that. So he's got really good traits. Uh, I think he's a really good prospect. Um, 
I can't speak to his character. I can't speak to, uh, you know, whether, oh, he's not going to play hard all the time. I can't speak to that, and I won't. But he's got really, really good traits. Greg Cosell with us from NFL Films on OutKick 360. Greg, Quiddy Pay at Michigan played all four years. 38 games yep. is, is where you can find film on him. How many fronts can he play in? How versatile can he be up front? And did you see considerable improvement year to year over the four years he was at Michigan? Yeah, he only played four games this last year, unfortunately. But I watched him last summer. I watched about, uh, let's see, six games last summer from his 2019 season. I like Pay. I think you have to understand what he is. First of all, he, you know, he's ideally not what you want lengthwise at the DN position. And he's a DN. I don't believe he's an outside linebacker, but that's me. Maybe others disagree. Um, he's only six, two and a half, so he's not long. He's, he's got a very compact and dense frame, but he is a very good athlete for that frame. In fact, when he, he was in high school in Rhode Island, he was a member of a four by 100 relay team. So he can run a little bit as evidenced by the fact that he ran a four, five, seven, 40. So whatever that means, it does mean he can run pretty fast for that body type. Um, I think that he's got really good strength. I think he's a plus athlete. I wouldn't call him explosive, although at times he flashed some explosive movement. Um, I think there's much to unlock with this kid. Uh, both athletically and physically. I think there's a lot there. It would not surprise me if teams saw him as an inside rusher when they go to their sub fronts. Um, I'm just not sure if he'd be an outside rusher in sub, which, of course, teams play at a reasonably high percentage now, at least 60%, usually more of their snaps. So um, he, he's a relentlessly powerful guy. There's kind of a methodical explosiveness to him, not a twitchy, sudden explosiveness, more of a methodical explosiveness to him. Is Jalen Phillips also your yeah. prototypical 4-3 end? Oh, yeah, Jalen Phillips. And again, I mean, he's got the injury issues. He, I think he had his first concussion when he was 10 years old. We know he kind of he quit football for a year, came back and played this year. Um, he's your, to me, your quintessential 4-3 DN. Like the teams like Minnesota, um, I would say Philly is like that now because they're going to play the Minnesota defense with their new coordinator. Um, over 6'5", 260, this guy's got everything. I mean, I spoke to a GM that I know well, and we both agreed that if he was a totally clean player, he'd be a top 10 pick. He's got size. He's got length. He's got athleticism. He's got suddenness. He's explosive. He's flexible. He can bend. He's got power, really good balance. He competes. He checks all the athletic and physical boxes to play DN in a 4-3. That's what he is. Jason Owe's pro day at Penn State blew people away. Yeah. What, what, does, does the film match the hype from that one glance that many <clears throat> got from him? Because it doesn't jump on the stat sheet to you. You have to watch Penn no. State week in and week out. So you've seen the snaps. You've seen the effort. You've seen the athleticism and the ceiling and how he can build on his game. What do you think of him? I think he's a freak. Um, I think that the stats are not that relevant to me. I mean, he, he right. did have pressures. You know, he only played five games this year. So you have to be a little careful about using five games as a to say, oh, he didn't have a sack, so that scares you. I know it'll scare some. Um, this guy's athletic and movement traits just jump off the tape. I mean, this guy's he's, he's a freak. He's 6'5", 257. Say what you want about pro day measurables. We know they have pro days for a reason, but this kid pr 
this kid's pro day numbers were, were like a running back. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that few edge prospects move the way he moves. This kid's twitchy. He can bend. He's got burst. He can change direction. Everybody looks at sacks, guys, but he made plays in the run game that were ridiculous. This guy is is he's got unbelievable flexibility. I mean, this guy is a loose, loose limbed athlete and he's got a really loose core. He can change direction really easily. Well, and, and his ability to track down quarterbacks and running backs on the opposite side of the field is uncanny. Uh, and, and, and just yes. watching the, the limited snapshot we've seen of him. Oh, no question. I mean, I, I again, people can get into and they can debate the sack numbers because that's what obviously people look at. Uh, and I don't know Jason Oway, so I can't speak to any of that. But the traits are so, so high level um, that, you know, whoever takes him and where he gets taken, which I can never speak to that stuff. But this kid is – D-line coaches will want to work with this kid. And, by the way, you could theoretically see him as an outside linebacker because, you know, he, he has that kind of movement. I mean, he's 6'5". He's 257. You know, if, if you're a base 314, you know, again, you're not going to play in your base more than 30% of your snaps. But I wouldn't be surprised if some teams, I mean, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers could easily see this guy as an outside linebacker in their base 3-4. I know Tevin Jenkins is probably 30 pounds heavier than, uh, 30 pounds lighter, excuse me, than Isaiah Wilson was coming out. What I hear about him, though, is that his playing style is what Wilson's was supposed to be, uh, kind of a brute of a, of a right tackle. Uh, is, is he a similar player coming out, and, and can, can we anticipate him being uh, kind of what Wilson was supposed to be? Well, you know, it's funny. He's this kid's big kid. Um, I, I think what he is, more than anything, is he's physical, he's aggressive, he's competitive, He's a really good run blocker with really strong finishing traits. At times, he's a little nasty, which, by the way, NFL line coaches would love that. Um, I mean, I think he's an attitude guy. You know, he's an attitude guy as a run blocker. He's the kind of guy that sets a physical tempo for an offensive line um, that's always in demand. I think pass protection is where he needs his work. My guess is some will see him as a guard, uh, but then you get into that debate. There's you got to line up with 64 offensive tackles every week. Um, you know, not everybody is, has sweet feet and, and looks great. I mean, there's a lot of tackles who play well in this league. And, you know, given team scheme, all, all that comes into play. But this kid's really a physically competitive kid. He's a, he's a good prospect. Greg Cosell with NFL Films is our guest. He'll join us weekly on Wednesdays right here on Outkick 360. You can hear him with Jonathan Hutton on a new podcast as part of the Outkick Network, uh, dropping every Thursday as well. Greg, let's stay on the offensive line. And Trey Smith from Tennessee. You mentioned with Jalen Phillips that if the medicals were completely clean, he would be the top pass rusher in this draft. How much higher is Trey Smith on a draft board if he doesn't have the medical issues in his past? You know, I, I, I watched his tape. In, in pretty good detail. I think he's a good, not great prospect. He's a physical power mauler. He's not a finesse athletic player. That's okay. He's a guard. You don't have to have sweet feet and be a dancing bear. Um, the strength of his game is run blocking. Um, I think that he transitions to a team whose offensive philosophy features a strong run game. Um, 
I think he probably fits best in a gap scheme run game. I'm not sure he's a zone guy. I mean, he could block inside zone. Um, he's got he's a limited athlete, and that showed up at times in pass protection. That's a concern because the ball's thrown a lot in the NFL. I think the bottom line with Smith is that he's a big, strong, aggressive offensive guard with a competitive mauling mentality. O-line coaches will love him. They'll feel good about coaching him in the areas in which he needs work. Um, look, you don't have to be a high-level athlete to be an offensive guard. And Smith, to me, in the right scheme, could well be an important piece of a strong offensive line. But I don't think he's a great prospect where you go, oh, my God, this guy's just, you know, awesome. Greg, which position group is the deepest based on your evaluation? Deep meaning you have a lot of guys that you really love uh, despite the, the ratings and rankings and mock drafts. Uh, we're not getting into that. Just where, where can you find a plethora of playmakers? Wide receiver. I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton of wide receivers. And look, it's a passing league. You need wide receivers. So uh, wide receiver is really a, a pretty deep class. And, you know, here's what happens with wide receivers is there's very few transcendent guys. I think Jamar Chase is somewhat transcendent. Um, Jalen Waddles is is really intriguing. But there's not going to be 20 wide receivers. You just watch tape and go, wow, they're great. So wide receivers end up, you know, being used in different ways and playing to their skill sets. But I think there's a lot of really good wide receivers in this draft that are going to play in the league. You didn't mention Devontae Smith. He's, he's of course, you can't mention everyone. But you mentioned Waddle and not Smith. Well, well Smith, Smith, you know, Smith's fascinating. Smith okay. came in at 166. Yes, um, that's uh, where I was headed. That's where I was headed. What do you think of now, that? Now, again, again, there's always, you can always say, oh, look at Deshaun Jackson. Look at this guy. Look at, you can always do that. That's, you know, that's easy to say. Um I guarantee, I, and, and again, Smith might go in the top 10. He, he's got unbelievable receiving traits, high, high level receiving traits. Um, but I guarantee in, 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 in meetings leading up to the draft that teams are discussing the fact that he's 166. Because at 166, he's an exception. And that demands discussion. It doesn't mean you say, oh, he's not, doesn't have great traits. Yes, he does. But it demands discussion. And then it also demands deployment. Um, the question becomes, how is he utilized in your offense? I think when all said and done, he's got to be a movement Z. A Z is the receiver that lines up off the ball. So he's not on the line of scrimmage. I think you have to use him in motion. I think you have to get him in a situation where he has free access off the ball and can stride out. Because what he is at, at his core, putting aside the, the, the nuance of his game, which is really good, by the way, but putting that aside, he's a long, thin, smooth, linear strider. That's what he is. You want him to be able to stride. And if he can stride out, then his, his traits and attributes come to the forefront. Greg, I was telling Paul and Chad earlier today about the Cosell Files, which will debut tomorrow. They are pumped. They're like, oh, we, we cannot wait for this to, to take place each and every Thursday. And uh, I know this is something that you and I have been talking about now for, it's been longer than a couple of months. It goes back a few right. years. Uh, but we're anxious to get this going. And I, I want to preface this on the show. Greg's visits with us on the show and the podcast, we're not going to get into mock drafts and who Greg thinks the Cincinnati Bengals will take at pick number five. Are they going offensive tackle or <laughs> wide receiver? But what we can get into is what it tells us about the direction of a franchise or 
the options that Shanahan has at quarterback at number three and how that will steer the direction of their offense moving forward based on the style and the skill set of the quarterback selected because teams have options, Greg. And as you like to say, they will tell us what they're thinking by the moves they're making and maybe more importantly, who they pass up on. Well, the other thing too, Jonathan, and again, this is just who I am. You know, I love the process and we can start talking about that. I mean, you know, I love the process of evaluating. Um, that's what I do. Uh, you know, that, that to me is, is the fun part of it, particularly when I put on tape of a guy who is kind of virgin to me, you know, that I, I yeah. like a great example of that was the linebacker from Kentucky who I, I loved his tape, Jamin Davis. I love that guy on tape. I have no idea where he'll get drafted. I think he'll be a really good pro, you know, but I love the process of sitting here, you know, hey, here's my clicker, you know, it's, it's right in my hand right now. I love the process of just watching tape, evaluating players. And the key thing is you're trying to project and transition them to the NFL. That's the whole point of this. And, you know, there's very few transcendent players. So, so much depends on team, scheme, coaching. There's so many variables that go beyond just, oh, wow, he's going to be great. Or, you know, he's, he's this. And there, there's so many factors. File One will debut tomorrow across the Outkick Network. We will make sure that uh, our viewers, that, that, Everyone across the network knows how to get their, their hands on this, how to download this on the device. Greg, tonight, NFL matchup, correct? G give us the time again. Uh, 9 o'clock tonight on ESPN2. Matt Bowen, myself, Sal Palantonio. Uh, 9 o'clock tonight. Yeah, we shot it today. And, um, you know, again, that, our mandate on that show is to put players in the context of the NFL. We don't just say, oh, here are the top five receivers. Here are the top five this. We talk about... The players that we end up talking about, look, we only have 21 minutes in a show. We can't talk about 50 players. But the way we talk about it is in the context of the present and evolving NFL game. We're always smarter when Greg Cosell joins us to talk all things NFL. Greg, thank you as always. We look forward to next week right here on Outkick 360. Great stuff. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Greg Cosell of NFL Films making his debut there. Gives us 30 minutes every Wednesday. Uh, we backed it up because of the taping that he was discussing there with ESPN. He will join us weekly starting next Wednesday, every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern, 1130 Central, and we go commercial free right up to the hour. I got to go back, Chad. Your question was good, but I, I couldn't keep up with it. I was trying to tweet it. Uh, you're... Uh, his question about can a guy be a top, his answer, can a guy be a top-level quarterback if he can't do something, if the defense has a solution for a play? What did you think of what he said there? What, what was his answer? Let's get into that because a lot of it comes from this special I watched on ESPN with Kirk Herbstreet and Zach Wilson and how they were gushing over this throw at his pro day that he made, and it was basically just – it was done to show that he can throw off-platform. You know, where his feet aren't set, where something happens, where you're not in the spot you should be in, and you could throw at different angles. Uh, I think... We've talked about this. Greg's That's answer was great. a mandatory thing now. But also how he said that NFL coaches don't have a great, brilliant answer for it either. It's, I mean, it's good that they can do that, but the top value in a quarterback is still ability to throw accurately from the pocket and make good decisions. Yeah, but I've asked this question, like, do you have to be able to do more than that yeah. now in order to be a top 12 quarterback anymore? I think the answer leans towards yes. We'll discuss more of that straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hang with us.
It is the Tennessee Power Hour for Outkick 360. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Speaking of Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, the orange and white game this Saturday, we will be in Knoxville. Us, Clay Travis, Old City Sports Bar starting at noon Eastern, leading up to the orange and white game on Saturday, a big Outkick event. We hope you'll join us. We're looking forward to this, Chad. Yeah, you can see it right now where we're very pale and Clay's very tan, and uh, I, maybe we'll be that way on Saturday, too. Who knows? I know maybe. Clay's been going to the beach, so maybe he's more tan. This Saturday, noon to 3.30, Eastern Old City Sports Bar. If you're in Knoxville, if you're in the area, if you're headed to Knoxville this weekend, come by and say hello. should be a great time, and Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery and Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey will be sponsoring the event, some good food and drink specials, maybe even a free drink or two for OutKick VIPs, yet another incentive to join the OutKick VIP program. You saw the promo during that last break. So come hang out with us on Saturday. It's going to be a big time. Paul, you brought up the question that Chad asked to Cosell about being able to make the off-the-script play when the defense takes away your top option. I think that's difficult to find on film from the elite quarterbacks at certain levels of college football. Trey Lance may be a great example this year. Where, I mean, he, the critics will say, well, he's a one-read guy. One read, take, pull down the football and run. Um, well, he does do that, but he also makes incredible plays when he chooses right. to do that at the level he's playing. Well, I'm not talking about having to do it now. I'm oh, talking about oh, projecting, developing, projecting yeah. to do it. Yeah, coached into yeah. The, taking the talent that you have and projecting that he becomes the player that is worthy of a top 10 pick. Yeah, and we hit on yeah. a lot of things. He hit on at least two things there about the evolving NFL. That, which I think we've hit on a couple times here, you know, particularly if you're taking a quarterback, one of these top five quarterbacks, and he's going in the top 12, say, you, I think you need a guy now, you know, and I, I brought this up a, a few weeks ago, the idea of a statue anymore is less and less desirable. You want the guy to be able to operate in the pocket, but you're less and less satisfied with the guy who's going to take a sack in the old traditional way, like where if the play burns itself out, yeah. he's either throwing it away or taking a sack. And then the other thing about these receivers, the smaller guys, Smith, but even more, who you have to be really creative with. You know, and they might not be volume guys, but if you're smart enough on offense, you can do a lot of things with him, and he can really be an X factor on your offense. But he's not probably the kind of guy that you just line up and send out on routes 70%, 75 80% of the time on offense like you would with more traditional receivers. As a part of the off-schedule, off-script discussion, my answer initially is I want a quarterback that's extremely accurate. And I want a quarterback that recognizes that the defense took away the option. Yeah, that is more important. Figure out the play. Then can he figure out a second option? Because can he live to fight another play and give your offense another down? Yeah. Because if he doesn't realize that the defensive coordinator took it away, then it's a pick or a you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of the tackle box, throw it away, live for another day. I'm completely fine with that. I agree with you. Accuracy and decision making, at least on the level you're talking about, to start with. Yes then grow from there. But most of the plays that we see that wind up being crucial plays in crucial games don't go according to plan. Um, you know, and that's always the case. There's something that goes wrong that the quarterback is going to have to make up for to some degree. 
can your guy ultimately do that? Not year one, but, you know, we've seen Josh Allen grow into it. Mm -hmm. Can your guy grow into it like Josh Allen's grown into it? Whether he has Josh Allen's physical uh, characteristics or a completely different set, because Josh Allen's a unique body type and has, you know, he's the big, strong Roethlisberger The type. traits. Yeah. And your guy can have completely different traits. But can he get there? Yeah, you know, and that's a tough projection to make. That, that's why it's hard. Well, I think the word that uh, Greg used was reckless. You know, he said there's a reason Patrick Mahomes was drafted 10th and not 1st mm -hmm. in the draft is because Zach Wilson has some similar traits when you turn on the film that he's a little reckless at times with how he's moving around the pocket and what he's trying to do. So there were some similarities there. Um, no one's complaining about that with Patrick Mahomes. And, and is, that, is that something that's now a prereq? For a quarterback in the NFL, I don't think it's it's to that point yet. A little bit more, but it's it's more. it's getting to where that is something that's definitely desired by NFL. You used to hate it, yeah, right. Oh my God, this guy's got a reckless thing in him. We have to get him in and tamp that down. How about his comments on Trevor Lawrence? Not as I, mean, I thought it was interesting with Greg. Not not as big on Trevor Lawrence as everyone else is, but still a separation. Not a generational talent, right. he said. Uh, there's still a separation, but he's not, you know, the greatest prospect in the last ten years or anything like that. Devontae Smith, lots of concerns about his weight, 166 66. pounds, Jeez. and uh, that was, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk about Trey Smith that he may be a late first rounder if it wasn't for the medical issues. Not big on and him. And he, he said no. He said he's a he's a good he's a good guard, powerful brute guy, but not a great athlete. And he doesn't see that's, him as a he's a good but not great prospect. That's the different opinion on uh, there for sure. Um, and maybe higher on Jenkins, Paul. Listen, he's, <laughs> he said about Jenkins exactly what John Robinson will love about Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Which scares me to death about Jenkins, right? Right tackle, here we go. wants that guy at right tackle. Aggressive run blocker with nasty finishing traits, an attitude guy, sets a physical tempo, needs work on pass protection. Some will see him as a guard. Not everybody has sweet feet. He's a good prospect. Titans are fine without sweet feet at right tackle. Jack Conklin didn't have sweet feet. He was an all-pro, right? This guy sounds like a John Robinson guy to me. The more a lot of people talk about him, just like that. John Robinson's looking around saying, "Hold on, did did someone say brute? <laughs> I'm I'm in. Someone said brute. If I even catch a whiff of brute cologne, I'm going to be interested in this prospect. That's exactly what he wants. Is a big brute. The only thing he needed now is a great laugh. And this guy's <laughs> as good jolly. as the 22nd overall pick. Jolly like Santa Claus. Listen, if I'm a Titans fan, I would advise you. I I, I still don't think they'd go there, but. The real safe play is for the Colts to take him at 21. <laughs> and the Colts need, <laughs> and they need tackles. One. Yes. Well, they need a left tackle probably more yeah. than a right tackle, though, and this guy's not a left tackle. So They're not going to draft him. It's not going to happen. I refuse to believe it. They're not taking a right tackle in the first round. It's not going to happen. I've said it on this show, and it, it will be so. Stop, it's not going to happen. Stop saying it so much. It's not going to happen. Chad nearly destroyed his home office last, last year time. on the Friday after the draft. In regards to the to the right tackle being selected, not knowing what was to come, but just said, "Hey, oh, no, I knew." No, I'm just yeah, kidding. yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Isaiah Wilson. I'm saying the rest of the draft. You're saying right tackle. You're going to destroy this laptop live on the show you know, on, I, I on think Friday. It's sometimes he said silly. he feels the urge to destroy something, but he doesn't. Yeah, follow yeah, yeah. Through. Okay, that's fair. Sometimes, yeah, just like the good fan versus bad fan. Sometimes it's silly for fans to take this. Well, the Titans are bad at drafting receivers, so they can't possibly draft a receiver no, this draft. Trying. That's ridiculous. You keep trying. But I will say, 
that Isaiah Wilson pick was so damn bad and worked out so pitifully for the Titans, I'm totally okay with taking a one-year respite from, hire, from drafting any offensive tackle in this draft because it was so bad. This is my one exception to this rule. It's okay to take a year off at offensive tackle because of the bad taste left in the mouth. What's he, take because it of at Isaiah 100 Wilson. or after. You're and allowed to jolly find one. I, I see. I disagree. I don't think it's okay to take a year off from drafting tackle because they screwed up the pick so poorly last year that they've set themselves back on a pick. Yeah, I agree they, with They Tuck. need another tackle. But you're allowed to take him at 100 or later. He doesn't have to sure. be uh, given your other needs. Give me Lamb. But he's saying, give me Lamb and right tackle. We'll be done with it. We can worry about it again next year. He's a lamb. huge Lamb fan for that huge reason. I'm a lamb huge Lamb fan because he's a you great know I'm quote. a big Lamb fan because he's been in the league. Like he's actually played. <laughs> he's participated in football for a team. I mean, I just don't. Just none. None. Not at any point in the draft. Don't do it. I don't look. I I, I feel the pain on this because I I understand the frustration with the pick, but in looking at their roster, One I, it has to be addressed. Because they screwed up the pick so bad. Well, you, Such you, a horrible, horrible outcome for what they decided to do last year, last April, to what they are now forced to do and address this preseason, this, this offseason. I'm comfortable with what they have now. But for you, what? you pointed it out. If they get hurt, they're screwed. Yes. I'm comfortable with Lawan and Lamb. If they suffer an injury, they're screwed. Uh, and they can't do what they did last year. They, for A, they don't have Jonu Smith to be the primary helper. And B, it just was uh, limiting. I mean, it was remarkable that they were able to be as good on offense as they were yeah. playing a second and third string left tackle. And you just can't put yourself in that, uh, in that hole again. So I do think that they need a better – look, Quesenberry, as well as he did, needs to be knocked off the roster by better depth. And you need to have Lawan. Lamb, Sam Brilo, and a draft pick who's better than Questenberry, I think. Upgrading the depth, right? Upgrading the four-pack of tackles. But that guy doesn't have to be one of the top three picks to me, given all your other needs. I mean, again, they, they could do better than Lamb. The Browns like Lamb so much they went out and gave $100 million to Jack Conklin. Guys, I've been, I've been researching this. I'm hearing it's a great undrafted free agent market for tackles this year. <laughs> This is going to be a great pool of undrafted free agent tackles. Bring in some depth. Might hit on one of these guys. Could be the next starter on the offensive line that went undrafted. This is the year to do that. You can this, always go this back. This is the year for that, I'm telling you. Marcus Mariota's best friend there. He was a guard. What was his name? He's somewhere floating around. The guy that went to Oregon with him. Oh, yeah. He was on and off the roster. A charity case. Uh, we've, we've seen those come through. Blaine Bishop sure. asked him a great question about uh, <laughs> Marcus, a great question when yes. he got cut. His roommate. Yeah. Coming up, we uh, wrap up the show, give some final thoughts, and we talk alphas. Greg mentioned the word alpha. Do they exist for players in Knoxville right now? Discussion Chad, next well, give us his list. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kick 360 back with a date to give you more dates. Three weeks from tonight, the NFL schedule will be released. Ah. May 12th. It's a big night. 
I almost got chocolate-covered dates on my <laughs> way back from uh, from something yesterday, but I avoided it. There's a lot of meatloaf talk during the break. Yeah, uh, meatloaf, and I had meatloaf for dinner last night also, so it was a perfect Jim time. Jim Steinman, the mind behind meatloaf, uh, passed away. May he rest in peace. Hronis Grassu was the friend of Marcus Mariota. Yes. Like we couldn't remember. Grassu. Uh, he he was a charity case, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> uh, Didn't see him around much after they were done with Marcus. Chad, there is a, an alpha mantle in Knoxville, and that mantle right now, not many players' numbers or jerseys or likenesses. names, likenesses, would be staking claim to that mantle currently, both football and basketball. Put some people up on Who it. will lead? It's open. Who will lead? Who will set the standard? Who, who will be the alpha? Who will be the driving force? of the football and basketball team in Knoxville with Tennessee. It was Juwan Jennings a couple years ago, there's no doubt about it. Daniel Batuli, another one of those guys. Trey Smith was kind of that guy, but he's a little bit more of a quiet leader. Nigel Warrior was that guy. When Tennessee had success and won eight games, it was because of veteran guys like that. I don't know who that is on this current Tennessee roster. Wish for The some. guys that stayed aren't the most vocal of guys. Now, there is a vacuum there where someone could take off and be a vocal leader of this team and be that guy for Tennessee. Maybe it's Cade Mays, you know, who's uh, now Maybe. in a second year transferring over from Georgia. He's got that type of mentality. Maybe it's his younger brother, Cooper Mays, honestly. Maybe it's the Mays brothers that are the alphas of this team. But outside of some offensive linemen and some veteran defensive linemen, I don't see a lot of candidates, honestly, that have been there long enough, that have done enough, that will step into that role and help Tennessee – surprise some people in a good way this year. There's just not that many guys. And on the basketball end, I think it's got to be Josiah Jordan-James. I think he's the guy that towards the end of the year started to step up and take a more vocal role with that team. It's not going to be John Fulkerson. People love John Fulkerson. He's not that type of guy, and I don't think he's that type of player. I think Josiah Jordan-James is the type of player that can hold everyone else accountable with the way he plays. When Tennessee had their most success, they were led by Admiral Schofield. Mm-hmm. Alpha. alpha. Alpha amongst alphas. Lamonte Turner, even off the bench, alpha. Grant Williams, alpha. Those guys led. They got in teammates' faces. They would get in each other's face during a game if things weren't going the way they wanted it to go. I think both Tennessee football and basketball needs a little bit more Do we that. think that Heupel will be the kind of coach who will ask players to step forward into this role and take on this mantle? In addition to player development – Leader development, which I don't know that we saw much of from previous regime. Paul, I really don't know much about Heupel's leadership style yet. You know, it's uh, I know about him as an offensive coordinator. I think he's a very, very good offensive coordinator. I think he's a good offensive mind. I think he's going to help Tennessee tremendously on offense. But what you hear about Heupel now is, uh, you know, snow cones and food trucks. Like he's just much more accessible to players, and that let's have fun. You know, his whole thing is. We need an infusion of fun. We want players excited to come to practice no and compete and do this. And we're going to have food trucks out there. If you go hard this day, we're going to have the Kona Ice truck come in and do a little bit more of that, which is definitely a different approach from that business. You know, Jeremy Pruitt treated like a job to yeah. the players. Like it was very much a business NFL approach of, I'm not going to sit here and motivate you. If you want to get to the next level, you want to do things to win, you want to become a better player, here's how we're going to structure practice. I think that Josh Heupel has much more of a focus on fun. It could be good. It could be bad. I honestly don't know enough about his leadership style to know if that's something he's going to be a driving force behind of 
cultivating leaders on the roster. I think you could take that fun thing to a cheesy level, but I think Pruitt seemed to suck it all out. So I don't have a problem with Heupel putting something back in there. I think you have to have it if you're going to have success. It's not the only thing that's going to dictate success, Needs to be but needed. it is a prerequisite factor on a team that you have strong player leadership and you have guys who will light a teammate up. I think that is absolutely necessary. And the, as is team. the fun. Yeah. You've got to put something in there. Today was fun. Hope you enjoyed Greg Cosell's debut on the show. He joins us weekly every Wednesday at 1235 Eastern. You can catch him on the podcast, replay of the show, whether that's through podcasts, wherever you download your podcast, but also YouTube, Facebook, and on Twitter. Hit us up in the meantime at OutKick360 and join us tomorrow. John McClain's on the show tomorrow. Ah. John. Hit the I'm NFL back, draft headlines with Ask the general. Me anything except Deshaun. What? I've been turning down interviews left and right because I don't <clears throat> want to talk anymore about Deshaun and his masseuses. If, <laughs> if, if McLean were here right now, Paul, you would give him this advice. Don't reveal your band name. <laughs> don't lock the box. And do lock the locks.